0: we're out there doing it our way, as the old song goes, living life, kind of rejecting Jesus, not completely, just a bit on the lukewarm side, the hardest thing to do can be to take the decision to open the door when he comes a-knocking. It's hard, that is, until we realise what his purpose is, and it may not be what we think. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing with a second message in this series called There's a Knock at the Door. It's all about discovering the yearning in Jesus' heart to be close to us, close to you. So let's head into God's Word and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works' free daily devotional. It's called Fresh and it's all about helping you draw closer to Jesus so that you can become all that he made you to be.
1: Just the other night, my wife Jackie and I were invited over to dinner by some friends of ours, James and Shirley. So we headed over, picked up our daughter from work along the way. She came with us. They prepared this lovely meal, a rich stew with lots of vegetables in it, which I really like. In one sense, it wasn't a flashy meal, you know, not upmarket, if you will, But that wasn't the point. It was a weeknight. They'd both been at work all day as we had. It was just such a joy, sitting down, sharing a meal together, sharing our lives with one another. It's those simple things in life that I really enjoy, don't you? I mean, every now and then, to just fellowship with friends over a meal is something really, really special. Not a large crowd, just asking some friends. That's how we get to know one another. That's how we get to know the heart, the life, the joys, the sorrows of someone, by sharing a meal with them. And this week again on the program, we're continuing our theme of intimacy with Jesus. In this series that I've called, There's a Knock at the Door. Because Jesus, Jesus as it turns out, wants exactly that same sort of relationship with you and with me. And that, from where I sit, is absolutely awesome. That's something worth wrapping our hearts around, his passion to be close to us. So far in this series, we've spent some time... In this passage in the book of Revelation, I'm going to read it again. It comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and it starts at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door... I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And what we've seen so far is that Jesus is passionate about being close to you and me. And the last thing, the very last thing he wants from us is a lukewarm response. Give him hot or give him cold, anything but lukewarm. But more often than not, that's exactly what he gets from us, lukewarm. Why? Because we're so caught up in the here and now that we say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. We don't realise that we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Ain't that just the truth? I spent half my lifetime living like that. In fact, not long after I gave my life to Jesus, the pastor of my church asked me to write down my testimony, so I did. This is how it started out. I never really needed God. And that's exactly how it felt. I was doing pretty well in life, had a good job, good career prospects, all that stuff. And one day, the hard way, Jesus came along and opened my eyes to the truth. I thought I was rich, but really, I was wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I had money, but what I was missing out on was the rich, abundant life that Jesus came to give me. And you know at the point of realizing that when I finally woke up, a bit like the prodigal son sitting there amongst the pigs when he came to his senses, I felt like such a deal. I, I realized how pitiable my pride must have looked to God. And so my natural reaction was to shrink away from him. You, you know when you know that you know that you know that you know that you're not worthy? I mean, I'd always had that sneaking suspicion. But when Jesus shines his light in your heart, when we can finally see all the muck that's there for what it really is, muck. And so what we naturally want to do is to pull away from God. had a man contact me not so long ago who'd been a generous supporter of our ministry. But he was into some stuff in his life that he knew was wrong. And so he was pulling away from Jesus, but but he knew that that was the worst thing he could do. So he, he was still doing it because it came naturally. We feel so inadequate, so unworthy, so we pull away. Been there? Yeah, me too. And it's into that situation that Jesus is speaking. Remember, he's speaking here to a lukewarm church in Laodicea that's at risk of pulling away from him. And so he comes along with the exact opposite. He calls them to come to their senses. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door. I'll come into you and eat with you and you with me. If only you'll have a change of mind. What you'll hear is my knocking at the door of your heart, says Jesus. And what I want to do is to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. Nothing fancy, just a good, honest meal so so we can sit and eat together and chat together and fellowship together. You can hear my heart and I can hear your heart. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's an invitation to the sinner. It's an invitation to you and me to decide to earnestly turn our lives back towards Jesus, to open the door of our heart, to let him in so he can fellowship with us dine with us, draw close to us. And when we're in that place of feeling inadequate and unworthy, it's the very last thing we expect. What we expect is condemnation and punishment. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us, to save us from a life as a deluded, pitiable, poor, blind, naked wretch. And that's what makes Christianity, which is a belief in this very same Jesus, totally different from any other belief system or faith or so-called religion on the planet. The thing that sets the Christian apart is that he or she believes in the grace and the mercy of God. We believe that because Jesus paid for all our sin, we can come to him now and rely on what he did on the cross for us back then, rely on the fact that we are totally forgiven, totally set free, to be totally one with him. And just as the picture that I painted for you of the dinner my family and I had with our friends James and Shirley the other night is, is a beautiful, heartwarming picture, as simple as it is, so this picture of Jesus knocking at our door, desiring to dine with a sinner, is totally wondrous and awesome and sublime. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door. I'll come into you and eat with you and you with me. So what's your response? Before the break, we were chatting about the passion that Jesus has to come and fellowship with us, the passion he has, as it were, to share a meal with us. And so often, that's the last thing we'd ever expect. But The more we become aware of God and who he is and the love he has for us and all that he's done for us, the more aware, too, we become of our own shortcomings, the more aware we become of our sin, the more aware we become of the fact that we simply aren't worthy. That's what kept me running away from God for almost two decades of my life. This knowledge that if I ever came face to face with Jesus, that I'd get what I deserved, condemnation and punishment. That, of course, was before I understood the concept of grace, the unmerited favour of God, the mercy and the forgiveness that I have when I put my trust in Jesus. Although, to tell you the truth, so awesome is the grace of God, this amazing grace that I am absolutely certain that, that it'll take me for the rest of eternity to truly come to grips with what it means. And I know that I'm not alone. So, so when some joker gets up on the radio and starts talking about this Jesus knocking on the door, wanting to have a meal with us, wanting to fellowship with us, man, I know how difficult that can be to come to grips with. Listen, says Jesus, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into you and eat with you and you with me. That's the key passage that we've been unpacking so far in this series, this idea that if only we'll have a change of heart, you and I, if only we'll open our hearts to receive Jesus, he'll come in and be close to us, linger with us, dine with us, fellowship with us. It's an awesome idea, but is it true? Other than this verse in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Is there any evidence that Jesus really, really, really wants to do that, that he really means to do that in my life and in yours? That's the question. Well, right now, we're going to spend some time with an outcast who, perhaps like you and me, would have struggled to begin even to comprehend that it could be true. He was a man who was loathed by his fellow Jews. He was despised by them. Why? Because he was a tax collector. None of us like paying taxes so much, although these days we kind of get it that we need taxes to to live in a country that provides law and order and hospitals and schools and all those other essential services to its people. But back in the first century Israel, tax collectors were essentially extortionists. They would bid for the rights to collect tolls on a particular road on behalf of the Roman emperor. That was the first thing. They were working for Rome, the occupying force, oppressing their fellow countrymen. And secondly, once they'd won the right to collect a toll on this particular stretch of road, they then inflate the amount in order to pay the bribes they needed to pay in order to win the contract in the first place, and secondly, to make a profit. And most of them lived a pretty high life. So you can see why they were despised by their fellow Jews. So imagine a tax collector living in a town, and he hears that Jesus, this this rock star, is coming to town. The crowds are milling around. They've all heard about the miracles. They're all aware of his reputation as a preacher like no other. That's where we're going to pick up Matthew's story. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And so Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in, in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they said to Jesus' disciples, Why does your rabbi eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Now, intuitively, we we kind of imagine you and I that if the Son of God was coming to town, he'd be wanting to catch up with who? Well, the religious leaders. In our case, maybe the Archbishop or the bishops, or he'd be wanting to dine with with senior politicians or or maybe reputable business leaders. Imagine if instead Jesus came into your town and my town, and he walked past all of those people, and he went down to a a seedy cafe where the prostitutes and the drug dealers hang out. imagine that. What would people say about him then? Well, see, that's exactly what he did here. And the religious leaders were none too happy with him when they heard. And from a human perspective, maybe we can kind of understand that, because it's not what we would expect the Son of God to do. I mean, if you and I were Matthew, would we have expected Jesus to come to our place for dinner with all our outcast friends? of course we wouldn't. That's the last thing we'd have expected. In Eastern culture, table fellowship's a big thing. It confers honour on someone when a person of higher status comes to dine at their place. So this was a powerfully symbolic act. Jesus did it deliberately, not just to tell Matthew and his mates that he'd come to earth for them, but to explain to everyone else, especially those hypocritical, self-righteous religious leaders, that Jesus had come, not for the righteous, but for the sinners, not for the people who were lifted up in everyone else's eyes, but for the flotsam and jetsam of society, for the the people who desperately needed him. Now, let's put ourselves in Matthew's shoes for a moment. How does that make him feel, to know that this amazing miracle man, this Jesus with rock star status who who draws these massive crowds to his meetings, would come to his place for dinner? How how would that make you feel? Well, for me, I'm thinking I'd be blown away. I mean, completely by the honour. Jesus blessing and honouring Matthew in this way without any condemnation at all, without telling Matthew what he already knew, that the way he was living his life was wrong, Jesus gets a change of heart out of the man. Jesus shows Matthew and his friends mercy, something the religious leaders apparently didn't know too much about. And as a result, Matthew ends up leaving his lucrative extortion business of tax collecting and becomes one of Jesus' closest 12 disciples. Friend, that's the transformation that the mercy of God through Jesus, his son, brings to our lives. This radical mercy and grace and love that has him accepting us just the way we are is what sets off a chain reaction of transformation. It has to. It's so outrageous. And all we have to do is to acknowledge where we're at and turn our lives back to Jesus because he came precisely for sinners like you and me. And wherever you are on your journey, whatever you've done in your life, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever's caused you to drift away from God ever farther each day, it's all washed away the moment you put your trust in this Jesus who came for Matthew, who came for me, who came for you. That's grace, pure and simple, the totally unmerited favor of God for all who would place their trust in this Jesus who's knocking at the doors of our hearts this very moment and asking us to invite him in. This very Jesus who wants to have dinner at our place, to linger, to laugh, to listen, to lead us on into a new place, a new freedom, a new eternity. He stands at the door and knocks. He waits. What a pity that with so many of us he has to wait so long. Now, after this short break, we're going to take a look at that door and what it looks like from Jesus' perspective. H- have you ever thought of that? I mean, it might be an interesting view of the world. That's after this short break. Okay, so, so Jesus is standing on the other side of this door knocking, the door of our hearts, your heart and my heart. There's a great painting by a man called William Holman Hunt. The painting's called The Light of the World. It was painted in the mid-1800s. It depicts Jesus standing before a long, unopened door, covered in overgrowth and weeds, and he's knocking. It's nighttime, it's dark, he's carrying a lamp, hence the name of the painting, Light of the World. Hunt, 50 years after painting this painting, felt he had to explain the symbolism. So he said, look, I painted the picture with what I thought unworthy though I was, to be a divine command and not simply as a good subject. The door in the painting has no handle and can therefore only be opened from the inside, representing the obstinately shut mind. I know it well because at the church that I'm part of we have a large version of this painting turned into a stained glass window which is backlit. Our old building was knocked down but fortunately someone thought to bring this beautiful stained glass window into the new building. Cool painting with a powerful notion, this this idea that the door can only be opened from the one side, from the inside, and that it's a long, long time since this particular door was opened. Doesn't it represent the picture of many a man's and many a woman's life? So can God soften our hearts? Sure he can, but at the end of the day, he gives us a free will to accept him or reject him when he reveals himself to us. But the important thing about this passage in Revelation chapter 3 is that he's knocking on the door of the hearts of men and women in the church of Laodicea. So these aren't people who've never met him before. These aren't people who've never heard the good news of Jesus. These are in fact God's own people at whose door he stands. People who by all account had seriously upset him through their lukewarm attitude towards him. And he's standing outside this door that can only be opened from the inside, knocking. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, says Jesus. Now, someone has seriously upset you. Would you go out at night and stand outside their front door knocking? I mean, would you take the trouble to stand there and wait for them to answer? And if so, how long would you stand there? Well, what would be going on in your heart as you stood there waiting for this person who had upset you? What, What if that person who's upset you takes forever to answer the door? Not just a minute or two, not just half an hour, not just a few hours, not just a few days. But what if you're standing outside this door knocking and the person who's upset you takes months or even years to open the door? You see my point? Jesus, the Son of God, as he always has, goes out of his way to find the lost sheep. He goes out of his way to come to us, to call us back to him. He goes out of his way to knock on our door and to offer to come in and bless us and to have dinner with us. Now, imagine how it must feel for him, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, as he stands outside in the dark and the cold, Jesus, the Son of God, waiting, waiting for us to take the time to answer. I mean, already he's humbled himself by just coming. Already he's opened himself up to a relationship from his side by dying on that brutal cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And we leave him standing outside in the cold because our response to him is lukewarm. I mean, imagine if he came to your door tonight physically and knocked on the door. Would you leave Jesus outside? So why is it that as we get distracted with all the things in life, we manage to leave Jesus at arm's length outside outside on the other side of the door of our hearts, knocking. His intent is clear, to come in and to dine with us and to fellowship with us, to come and bless us as he blessed Matthew and his friends. And yet we have the hide sometimes to leave him waiting out in the cold. All he asks of us is that we earnestly repent, earnestly have a change of heart and mind and life so as to open the door. Repentance, this turning is what turns the handle from the inside and opens the door. Repentance is what opens the door and invites Jesus in to come and fellowship and dine with us. An earnest realisation that we've rejected him, that that in our going our own way, we've gone the wrong way. An earnest, I'm sorry. An earnest, I want to have a relationship with you, Jesus. I do want to linger with you. I do want to fellowship with you. I do want to have dinner with you. He's already here. He's, He's already knocking. He's just waiting for us to repent and open the door. You know, my prayer for each of us is that today as we've heard God's word, as we picture Jesus standing outside the door knocking, my prayer for each of us is that we are rocked to the core by the reality of a God that would come after us, the reality of a God who would send his son to die for us so that we could be forgiven, the reality of a God who comes to seek us out wherever we are whatever we're doing however badly we've hurt him who comes to seek us out not to punish us no no, not that at all he comes to seek us out to call us close to have a relationship with him my prayer is that you and I would be rocked to the core today by this God this Jesus who came for you I stand at the door and knock will you answer will you go to the door will you open the door will you invite him in The decision, the decision is yours. The decision is mine.
0: Well, that's about all that we have time for. But before we go, don't forget that you can receive Bernie Z. Devotional fresh into your inbox each day. A powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement To help you be all that God made you to be. You can watch the video, listen to the audio, or read the devotional. It's completely up to you. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and you'll find the fresh e-devotional sign up right there at the top of the homepage. And when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of Bernie's ebook, How Can I Hear God Speak to Me? That web address again is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer, and you've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet.